Someone should have an aliyah. It should be in the right place. Of course, it is in the right place. I'm sure. She was a person that was dedicated and devoted to her family, devoted to her children, devoted to everything and anyone that needed her help. Orphaned at a very young age, she looked after her siblings, etc., etc. The eulogy could never, could would never end. Probably with Hashem. She lived to a ripe old age, almost 102. She passed away a few weeks before her 102nd birthday. She was Zeicha. She merited to have all her, not all, but almost all her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, children at her 100th birthday, at which point a sefetaria was given to her as a gift, gifted to her in memory of her husband and her merit. That's if it traveled to Auckland, New Zealand, where it's housed now by her grandson. He's the chief rabbi, not the chief rabbi, the head shliach of New Zealand. And it's in his shul, and it's used, Baruch Hashem, every single week. A very big merit, a very big schus fact that one has and one receives and one gets the bounty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shasali Kaltsarki does for me everything that I need. It's a bracha that we say every morning. Except for Tishabov. There's a fellow who was in hospital at Khmanalitzlan and he was really, his health was failing. Rameya Shapiro came to visit him, to visit the hospital, Bukhal. And he was told that uh, you know, this person had a shayla, how is he allowed to say the bracha, because he doesn't have everything that he can do. And he went to visit the person, the person started to smile, and smile, he tried to get up, he couldn't, obviously, he couldn't sit up even, he couldn't. But he was smiling and smiling and smiling. And he told him finally, he says, rightfully I have to stand up, halachically I have to stand up for you and I have to greet you and I have to give you food or drink or something for coming to visit me. However, I'm not capable. And to which he said to him, and but I'm smiling and smiling. This is my greeting to you to give you the honor and to give you the respect. Meshpira told him that in itself is what HaKadosh Baruch is giving you and you're using that to its fullest capacity and therefore you are doing and you are receiving the bountifulness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in whatever which way, form or fashion you're receiving it we tend to lose focus we tend to not remember who we are we tend to not remember what we stand for we tend to not remember our self-value, we tend to not remember many, many different things, many beautiful things that we have in life, many different gifts that we're given, many different opportunities that were presented to us. 
were human beings. It's, it's a, a breed. Medaber was supposed to be the highest one. We're Medaber. What's Medaber? Everyone has, animals have languages as well. But the Medaber that can think before they talk, that's Medaber. Problem is though, that we were granted not only with the Yitzhateh, but before that we were granted with the Yitzhahara. Yitzhahara plants many different ugly seeds within our head, within our minds. And says to us, look how woeful, look how sad, look how this, look how hard. When a person feels neglected, ignored, whilst the person who truly unconditionally loves them is just giving them the space, is just giving them room, is just giving them in a time of need when they need it most, respectfully and with the the best dignity they possibly can, just giving them and letting them breathe realizing that they're in a predicament and they're in a situation and even if it's a, a time or a day where the where the person can, can officially this is an appointed day where the person can ask anything and can do anything they want and can request anything they want and yet the person refrains the person doesn't interact whatsoever it, there are different interpretations too a person can take it in different ways a person can apply it in different ways in their life and their actions and their reactions generally basically one needs to understand that when someone does indeed love them unconditionally they do not falter, they do not give up and they do not get fed up and therefore they are always there for them and they know and realize and respect what the person might need at that time and therefore they let it roll now if a human being, a boss of a dumb that really, really is dedicated and devoted to another fellow Jew, another person so much so that they sacrifice from themselves and they say, okay, I will give up a little bit for myself as long as I can make this other person a stronger person, a happier person, a, felt, a better person. Although we know that at that time it might not be the best, but it is in the best interest of the person. And you feel it's the best interest of the person, but the person themselves might not feel it, might not see it at the time. Shasali Kaltsarki. This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said. We, we say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, You've given us all that we need to be able to serve you and to be able to do what we need to do. And therefore we need to be able to understand it, grasp it, cherish it, and say, Thank you Hashem for loving me unconditionally. Thank you Hashem for sending me signs, for sending me different 
blessings sometimes in the, in the skies even, sometimes totally openly. And I forgot who else was traveling to the Vashemtiv and they had, they told the story before, and they were traveling on the road and the governor's wagon was going in front of them. The governor's wagon was not going fast enough. It was going slow. And Mendel was concerned, the other person was concerned that this would delay them, they wouldn't make it to Shabbos and Mezhebush. Father Mendel Adaka said, I, I've really adapted to this way of life, and I know that everything that's happening is happening for the good, and we will see. The other one said, I'm happy you believe, I believe, I, I believe you believe, <laughs> but I don't know if, I don't know if we're going to get the Mezhebush on the time. Kids, they came to a town, that the pastor of the town was market day in the town. Down with the streets were packed. Generally, to drive through such a traffic, shall we say, would have taken them who knows how long. However, the wagon in front of them was the wagon of the governor. When the townsfolk saw the governor's wagon, they all parted and they made a path for it. So the governor's wagon continued its pace, but it went through the whole town. And there, right behind them, were the Tamil Abashemtiv. The students of Abashemtiv were in their wagon, nose to nose, bumper to bumper, but they were going right behind them. So, whatever they, as it flowed through, because everybody let them go through and didn't delay them, whereas it would have taken them who knows how long to get through that town, it took them a f- literally a few minutes only. And at that point, the wagon went its, a different direction, and they went straight, and they arrived measurably plenty of time for Shabbos. So again, they saw, ultimately, they were merited to see the goodness and the kindness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu had prepared for them the path, although at the very current moment, it was not so pleasant, not so beautiful. This Shabbos is Pasha Vayechi. Vayechi is the last, final Parsha of the Chumash Bereshis, the first of the books, the book of Genesis, the first of the five books of the Teda. A cycle. A cycle in life. Go figure. Let's not take the cycle of life that we started when we were born. Let's not take the cycle of life that we started when we were bar mitzvah or bas mitzvah. Let's take the cycle of life in the last year and a half. the blessings bestowed upon us in the last year and a half. The grace in which, with which HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us a new lease once again on life. Gave us emotions and feelings and and love that we never felt, we never understood, we never realized, we never we never even ate this with a fork or a spoon. And suddenly we were graced and we were blessed with this. Full cycle. Because it started 
let's say, in the beginning of Chumash Bereshis, and now it's again the end of Chumash Bereshis. Really. So we went full cycle, definitely the, throughout an entire year of all the Pashis and the Tera. And we went through each one, not painstakingly, but actually very, very, with great strength and with great love and great mm-hmm. compassion and great pleasure, each one word for word. And we said, HaKadosh Baruch thank you. Thank you for the blessings you're bestowing upon us. Thank you for the way in which you are gracing us with something that we never can understand, we can never fathom, we can never grasp, we can never put our finger on. We are now saying Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek of Chumash Bereshis again. It was just El, it was just Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> if you want to traumatize the women, then a nice good rabbi would say now, yes, we're finishing Chumash Bereshis. We just finished Hanukkah. And Jewish women of the world unite because here comes Pesach. <laughs> Believe me, that is not a nice thing to say. Um, they will not laugh or smile. As a matter of fact, very likely they'll just throw something at you or just turn off your speech. Here comes Pesach. Here comes another part, another life uh, cycle. And the reason they say here comes Pesach is because Chumash Shemais, besides the calendar, it's only now a few months away. We're in Tevis, we have Shvat and other, and then we have Pesach. So although we just came off of Asar Tevis, and hopefully everybody fasted well, hopefully everybody's well and healthy, I mean, can you hear us and say that about everybody that I know and that I love and that I cherish, and everybody that I don't know and everybody, and, and about myself? A fast day is a fast day, and the fact that we come through it, and with Chasdei Hashem, even though it was a very short fast day, from the morning until the evening, and the evening finished at 5.15, 5.30, it was a fast day. No eating and no drinking. And the body is generally not used to that. But we cope. We don't think, unfortunately, that much about why we're fasting. The horrific, horrific breakthrough or beginning of the breakthrough, the beginning of the downfall, as it's called, of the destruction of the Yushalayim, the Besamikdash, the surrounding of the city. We too are in that predicament today. We too are surrounded with elements around us 
that we need to really learn how to cope with, that we really need how to adjust to. We really need to know how to accept. We need to be able to look and focus at ourselves in the mirror and say, Who am I? What have I done for mankind and for Hashem today? I do not have a mission to be a zealot and to go out there and to fix the world. Definitely not by going out and reprimanding the world without looking in the mirror first and saying, who am I to reprimand another Jew, another fellow person? But I can see in the mirror a person that's capable of helping another person, being kind to another person, smiling to another person, being genuine. Accepting, loving and caring to a fellow Jew. Giving them a feeling in life that they stand for something, that their worth, their self-worth is much greater than they expect and they think. Giving them a figurative pat on the back or just extending the hand, pulling them out of the rut. That is what we need to focus on, to make the world a better place, to make the world worthy of Mashiach Tzitkenu, as worthy as the world is. Because, who is like the Jewish nation? One amongst the world. All that we go through, and now, We were just talking, my wife mentioned yesterday also, when she was teaching in high school. And I remember it as well. When I grew up, as a child, I'd go to shul with my father or my uncle. My father was a sheikh, he was away for the week. I'd come early morning to shul at 6, 6.30, Always, these people didn't know how to sleep ever. And that's what they gave. They, they instilled that in us. Thank you. And everybody would come at the shul. They must have been 100, 150 years old. I was 5, 6 years old. So everybody looked like they were, who knows how, ancient. Some of them would walk with a little bit of a hunchback, a little bit broken. Some of them walked in always with a smile, with a happy demeanor. And then, they put on their talus, and they rolled up their sleeve to put on their tefillin. And I was very confused, as a little boy very confused if this shul had a membership that you needed to sign up for 
In order to be a member, you have to put a number on your arm. My father, Vashalom, arrived in 47 after the war from Warta in Europe. But my grandmother, of blessed memory of Vashalom, had, call it intuition, call it whatever you'd like, spiritual understanding, she had them on the run the entire time. They didn't always stay together, they ended up being split up and back together, whatever it was. But she had them constantly running, and therefore they never ended up in concentration camps. They were never captured by Nazis, I don't think. Ended up going to Russia, Siberia. They did a lot of a lot of mileage. The house they owned in Jam- in, um, da- in Zagush. It's like a resort area, but that's where my grandfather was, Chazan and the Sheikhat. The house they owned was the only house in the area with hot and cold running water. And one day my grandmother said to the kids, to the family, we're packing, we're leaving. Why would we leave? We have such a beautiful house, comfortable, everything. Cheder, we're leaving. Picked up whatever valuables they could, whatever she could take along that she thought would be good to barter with later. And off they went. Three days later, Yemach Shemam Vizachram, the Nazis occupied Zagosh. And as headquarters, they took the house. It was the only proper house to be in. And that was the beginning of the run of which they traveled and they journeyed. So my father, Baruch Hashem, was never put in a concentration camp he didn't have that number tattooed on his arm. But he had, unfortunately, many, many memories of different anti-Semitic encounters. But these Kedashim would come to shul every morning, roll up their sleeves, And not even do like they did in Milan, where they would open, un- uncover their un- uncover their numbers before Nila, and tell Hakadosh Baruch Hu, "Look at these numbers and tell me you're not going to answer my prayers." They didn't say, "I'm entitled. I'm owed for what I've been through, for the traumas that I've been put through. I'm owed by society." I'm now in your free country where you people were born with silver spoons in your mouth. You people were born here and you were raised here with great everything that you needed in, in, in life. You even had marajna, you even had uh, ice cream. You had fresh baked bread. All the different amenities that we used to have back in Europe before we were torn from our homes and put through the henim of. of the war. Just to give a little example of my grandmother's intuity. In Siberia, the soldiers were coming through. My grandmother found a few beet peels. 
peels of beets. And she cooked them very well. She made a stickle borscht, a little red. I don't know if she put sugar in or she didn't put sugar in. She <laughs> took went outside and took snow or ice, broke it up in a cup, and made beet ices and sold it to the soldiers. <laughs> they bought it and they enjoyed it. What Akadish Baruch Hu made of those beet ices to make the soldiers want to buy it, to drink it, to eat it, I can't tell you. But this is a thing, a way the person learned how to cope with what they had. These Yidalach, these tired, tired condition used to come to Shul. And they would put on tefillin every day in Davin Bislavos. And I, as a little boy, remember it very, very, very clearly and distinctly. And I'm not good at that. I'm not one of those people that can give you my childhood memories, per se. But this I remember. Even probably remember some of their names. And they would put on that tefillin faithfully and daven as if their life was a normal life that they went through, that they didn't have any hardships, they didn't have any... We haven't got a clue, no matter how many stories we read, no matter how much we hear about it, no matter how many documentaries we watch, or anything else, we don't have a clue what these people lived through. The nightmares that they went through thereafter. How many nights, sleepless nights they have. Waking up and remembering in the cold sweats from what they've been through. Barakash Baruch Hu gives Kayach. Hakash Baruch Hu blessed these people to come to a free country at the time and to be able to marry and to raise family, from family, Chsidisha families. It's just not able, something we can't grasp. Shasali called Sarki. To say and to feel and to believe full heartedly how Baruch Hu does everything for us. These people didn't have a doubt and said that bracha as well as with the same fervor they said any other bracha. Unfortunately, the world is starting to see again the wave of anti-Semitism everywhere. Nobody is immune. Nobody is scot-free from this. And we need to therefore understand and remember and put our heads down and our shoulders up and forge ahead and grab the bull by the horns and take Yiddishkeit take the love of Hashem to a level that we can only do and apply it to everything and anything that we pass and we live through this is the message, the lesson, the leket, 
that we take Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Yaakov lived. Yaakov had been through Shiva Dirigahenim. He was, what hasn't he been through? Going through Lovan and going through the torture, running from his brother Esav. <coughs> Being told he lost his favorite child, Yasef. Having to raise Binyamin on his own because the mother passed away in childbirth. <laughs> he had a full plate. A full plate. Vayechi Yaakov. Yaakov lived Shvas Rishana. 17 years, 17 Migmatria Tev. The numerical value of 17 is good. The word good. And these were his best years. Not at home. He had to re- again relocate. In Erevas Haaretz, most disgraceful parts of the land, of the world, of Egypt, although he was given the area known as Goshen, and the mainstay part that was able to survive and they gave him the koyach to get through Goshen was the fact that Yehuda Shalach Lefanov, he sent Yehuda first and Yehuda set up, established the yeshiva. And by establishing a yeshiva, Yehuda saw to it that there was Yiddishkeit and there was exact whatever the Mesudas Havisenu Biyadenu, everything that we needed to have until now was there and was given to us and we lived it and relived it so much so that Yaakov was able to not only live there, Yaakov ultimately literally thrived in these years that he found himself in Goshen Chazak Chazak Venis Chazik We've spoken about the beginning of the Pasha many times. Other Vayichiyakov. Beretz Mugurei Aviv. And now Yosef comes with his two children, Ephraim and Menashe, And Yasef tells him, when he asks who are these children, they weren't little children any longer, but when he asked who they are, he said, Hashem Nasani Bozeh, and Bozeh shows Yaakov his marriage contracts, his Tanayim, his Ksuba. And Yaakov says to him, I know, I know, my child. I know and I say they're just like my own sons. Why take Reuben and Shimon? We say that the same numerical value of the names of Ephraim and Asher is Reuben and Shimon. But Yaakov also says that each one of them will also father a tribe of their own, an independent tribe of their own.
Although they were born to you before I came to you. And I lived with them every day. They came to learn Torah with Yaakov. But Ephraim and Asher, these are the children that will ultimately be like mine and bring Shvatim. Unlike other children that Yasef may have in the future. Out of all the grandchildren, Yaakov had only Ephraim and Menasha were those that merited this elite status. They were raised in Egypt, and Yaakov's values and lifestyle were foreign and unpopular there. And they were born several years before Yaakov even came to Egypt. <clears throat> As he says, before I came to you. So their earlier education was not under Yaakov's tutelage, but yet they conducted themselves in the manner of befitting grandchildren of Yaakov. Therefore he chose them amongst all his grandchildren. Ephraim and Asher, they'll be considered mine. Because they embodied the tried and tested continuity of Yaakov's path. Their exemplary, tri- exe- exemplary tribute to Yaakov's enduring legacy. This gave them this high mark, this portion, this place of Yaakov considering them as his own. Yaakov now is passing away. He's going to die. He knew he had a place in Maras HaMachpelah in Hebron. He had purchased a place that he had purchased. Avram purchased and there were places for Adam and Chava there. Avram and Sarah. Yitzchak and Rivka, and Yaakov and his wife. Yaakov also foresaw what was going to go on in Egypt with the plagues. What the plagues will be infested with locust, the Kinim, lice, the earth would be infested in all these things. Yaakov did not want to be buried in Egypt under no uncertain circumstances, besides the fact that he wanted to be buried in Hebron. But he ran into a little issue here. The issue was a lot bigger than little, unfortunately, for him. And that was do to others what you want done for you. We don't, this is the negative way of don't do to others what you don't want done for you. Do for others what you'd like done for you. Treat others like you want to be treated. 
So you're calling your son Yosefu. I, my entire kind Yosef, my dear son Yosef, I, how I cried when you disappeared. Oh, how I mourned you, but I didn't mourn you really because I felt in deep, side, in deep inside me that you were still alive. I, my tired Yosef, you're going to live here in Egypt because you're the Viceroy. And I am passing away. What child doesn't want to go to their father's gravesite on his yard site? So ideally for you, if you buried me here in Egypt, and on my yard site you would come to visit me. That would be the best scenario. And a lot of us do that, unfortunately, we bury people outside of Eretz Yisrael. So that we can go on the yard site. Many of us have the schus and they bury it in Eretz Yisrael so that we have to try to travel to Israel to get to the outside to get to the grave for the outside Yaakov says to Yosef promise me you're not going to bury me here you'll bury me in the place of my father's Jesus says sure Tata of course how would I deprive you of that Yaakov was no fool. Yaakov foresaw and had a lot of intuition to think and outthink and overthink. Yaakov says to himself, I'm at the mercy of Yosef. The other brothers could say, we're going to take him to bury him in Israel, and Yosef is the viceroy. He could say, nope, he's staying right here with me. I want to be able to go visit the Keva. I want to go down by the Tzian every day. But Joseph, Tata asked, Tata asked that he be buried there, right? With his wife, right? Not with my mother. My mother, he didn't see till it gets buried there. He buried her off on the side of a road. She passed away there, she got buried there. Derech Ephros. So now, I know he asked me, and I promised under duress, and I, whatever it is. Why and how does he expect me to honor that? when he deprived me and deprived me of the honor of being him being buried together with my mother. If you're listening to this, you're cheering on and saying, you go, Yosef. That's a very, very good, valid point. If he didn't see to it that your mother gets buried there, and he's not going there to get buried next to your mother, he's getting married next to Leah, 
why would you take him and go through all the trouble taking him to Mitzrayim, taking him out of Mitzrayim? Yaakov saw this argument going through Yasef's head. Yaakov saw the Yitzhahara <coughs> stirring apart and causing problems. So Yaakov tells Yasef, Yes, I buried your mother, Derech Ephras. I buried her over there on the side of the road. Base Lochem. Today it's called Beislechem. Beislechem is a hotel, house of bread. <laughs> We've spoken about this because it's a very, very powerful point that I repeated. In a house of bread, in a hotel, Beislechem, fitting a resort. <laughs> Why would you call a cemetery a gravesite? Beislechem. Yaakov tells Yasef that Bnei Yisrael is going to be very, very dependent on Rachel Imenu, on your mother. Your mother is the one that's told Lamaila up in heaven when the heavenly courts come to trial, There's reward for what you have done, <coughs> and therefore the Jewish nation will return your children will be returned to their borders. This we spoke about at length. We're not going to repeat the whole dialogue of how the, that came about. But the idea is, Beis Lachem, it's a hotel for prayer, a place to stop, to daven, for Klal Yisrael to go and to remember on the way out of Eretz Yisrael, on the way to Bavel, they were being driven out of Eretz Yisrael. They passed by this site. And it's there by Kever Ochel they stopped to daven. And they daven that Kaddish Baruch Hu, please have mercy on us. Bring us back to our holy land. And there they were promised, as Rachel Imenu cries out for her children, they were promised for Shavuvan and Gulam. And therefore, Yaakov tells Yosef, she got buried there not because she was punished, not because of something wrong. She got buried there as a reward to Klal Yisrael. She was buried there so that Klal Yisrael, at large, should be able to benefit and be able to daven there. Ultimately, Pashas Vayechi finishes off Hayomas Yosef ben Meir v'Asheshonim Vayachantu Eisev Vayisem ba'orin Mitzrayim. Yosef died at the age of one hundred and ten years. He was called embalmed there and placed in a coffin in Mitzrayim. Ultimately, the whole dialogue here is a little bit. hard to understand he was not buried in the ground he was buried just like his father foresaw he too so foresaw therefore he was buried in the needles which although it turned to blood later that was something that was also overpassed in his area 
and he stayed in the Nilus, in the bottom of the Nilus, until Meshach Rabbeinu took him out to take him to Israel. And the bones of Yosef were then taken and brought to Kevi Yosef. Kevi Yisrael and Yisrael. So with this we conclude and we finish off the first of the five books, the five Chumashim, the Chumash Abereshis. And everybody calls out together, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazik. Be strong, be strong. And may we be strengthened. And we all call it out together in unity to encourage one another the continued study of Teda. This proclamation, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazik, highlights actually the strength that we draw from this concluding verse. And the message that this literally imbues not only for this, but in the ensuing book of the Teda that will soon begin, into Shemais. Yosef passed away. <laughs> wow. You really know how to pour it on. How to really make it feel good. How to make it feel nice. Finishing off a story and Yosef died. Come on. Seriously? That's how we conclude a Chumash to which we are so excited. And he was interned in, 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 in Egypt. Yaakov, we know, was taken immediately as he was promised to caver into Marasamachpela. And Yosef was brought in the shame of the earth, in Ervasaretz. How impossible that the burial of Yosef in Egypt is something we're screaming in joy about, encouragement and strength, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak. We look into it deeper though Yes's burial is the embodiment is the whole encompasses everything of what Chumash Bereshis talks about and leads up into as we said the next Chumash Chumash Shemais As we started the dialogue, started to learn Chumash Bereshis, and we spoke before about this beautiful cycle that we are going through, and it's the Chumash Bereshis that we started the cycle, and we're now well into our second cycle. We read, unlike, as Rabbi Yitzchak says, unlike the fact that Teda should have started with with the first mitzvah, Unlike that, we read, rather, all that happened to our forefathers, the birth of the nation, of Rom, of Yitzchok, and of Yaakov, their whole story, what happened to them, their marriages, and their descendants. All this is to give Kayach for us, the descendants, to be able to persevere and to be able to exist in these darkest moments of Golos, of exile.
We also learn how Kaddish Baruch Hu promises B'nai Yisrael will not remain in exile. They won't remain in Egypt forever or any other exile. They will always return to their homeland. And when they return to their homeland, they'll be greater and richer than before. And we see in this last week's in Pasha we see how Yaakov blesses each one of his children with just that. To give them the Kayach to set them up, they shouldn't be set up for failure, to set them up so they can establish themselves and persevere and continue. Ultimately, however, in order for B'nai Yisrael to survive, and not only survive, but to thrive in this horrific exile, they needed not only promises, blessings, legacy to aspire to, but the presence of something actual, a source of strength to help them overcome the goals. What got them through exile of Mitzrayim? The fact that Yosef was buried there. And this is therefore knowing that they're going to take go out of Gauls and take him to Israel because that's where he has to ultimately be. And they knew that that would not, not happen. So therefore that told them that they too would be leaving from this Gauls. And that gave them the strength throughout to be able to know they're going to leave Gauls. And therefore, the burial of Yosef in Mitzrayim is the most invigorating conclusion of Bereshis. As we know before, Pari had said that nobody can lift a finger without Yosef, a hand or a foot, in the entire land. And he is here with them in, in, in Mitzrayim. This gave the Eden the power to overcome the horrific Golas and to be able to persevere and continue and to get them through what they needed to get them through the horrific Golas of Mitzrayim. And that is one way that we intertwine, we figure, we put in why this is the Chazak of the Chumash, and how this fits in with the beginning of the Chumash. But the question is, before a few Pesukim it says also, that Vayamas Yasef Me'a Vesheshanam, Vayichi Yasef, I'm sorry, Me'a Vesheshanam, he lived for 110 years, why does Terry repeat that he died at 110 years? Doesn't that, it was so much nicer to hear that he lived 110. Yosef was 30 years old. He was appointed as the viceroy. He was called into Pari. And Pari says, that's it. Like I said before, nobody lifts up their hands or foot without you. But you got to be a viceroy. So you can't be called Yosef. What kind of weird name is that? We're going to give you a nice Egyptian name, a nice Egyptian boy. Gonna call you Tsofnas Paaneach. Which ultimately in Egyptian I guess was something to say how he's supportive, how he will rule. Fantastic. What an experience. Given the royal signet, and not only that, 
but renamed literally by the Pharaoh himself, the Tzofnas Paneach. Jerry, Michael, Jeffrey, ah, a nice secular name, Tzofnas Paneach. And he walks out of there, and never again do you hear that name mentioned. As a matter of fact, in that very passage it says, he left, Vayetze Yosef, he walked out as Yosef. He came in the room as Yosef, left the room as Yosef, and left his Safnas Paneach on Pari's lap. He knew very well one of the main things that a Jew needs to have is keep their identity. And their identity being their name. The Yiddishkeit, the original Jewish name. So although Pari gave him this name, he lived and died. 110 years, and passed that 110 years as Yosef, not Tzofnas Paneach. And therefore, the beginning of the Chumash, Bereshis, the word Bereshis is an acronym. Berosh Shem Yisrael Tikre. Give your child a Jewish name. It's referring to every, every, it's abbreviation, referring to every Jew as they are created, their creation, shame Yisrael Tikra, to give and the Jewish child should always know and cherish the heritage of his beautiful name. And this is therefore the connection again of the beginning of Chumash Bereshis and the end, and more so the lead into the next Chumash, Eilish Shemais B'nai Yisrael, these are the names of B'nai Yisrael, again leading into, referring to the names the Jewish names, the Hebrew names they were given at birth, and the names that we will carry on and carry out of our Golas until this very Golas. And we will proudly know and proudly announce and pronounce our Hebrew names and not have to sit, be scared or cower into a corner because some anti-Semite is going to decide, oh, I now I hear he's Jewish because his name is Chaim or Shmuel. Very quickly, a story with a taxi driver that was driving once a shliach to the hill, the back and forth, and he asked him, can I go pray also? And he said, yes. I told the story before. And he says, what do you want to pray for? He says, afterwards he asked him, he got back in the taxi, what do you pray for? He says, he prayed my dog is very sick. No, I'm sorry, he said he's going to go pray for his dog who's very sick. And he says, oh, that's all you have to pray for? He says, well, actually, we have no children. We never bless the children. So he says, I pray for that as well. Kids and Emirates, the guy took him back to the airport. After the Shriach literally came to the oil and go back to the airport. And to go back to the airport, the Shriach gives him his card and says, You know what? Keep in touch. A year later, the Shriach has a phone call. Taxi driver. He says, You remember me? He says, Of course I remember you. How's your dog? He says, The dog died. You don't care about the dog. He says, of course I care about the dog. No, you don't care about the dog. Don't worry about it. It's not what I'm calling you for. I'm calling you to tell you that we had a little baby boy. Oh, that's fantastic. That he went into the hill. It's a guy. Uh, African-American, actually. He went into the hill to Davin for a child, and they wished to have benched him with a child, that ever benched him with a child. And he says, but that's not the bottom line, the end of the story. He says, because I know that it was from the blessing of the Rebbe, he says, we called him Menachem. So you have his little 
African American boy running around in public school. His name is Menachem. May that be our Menachem to all each and every one of us. May we be able to say Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak, and derive the strength that we need to go out of this Golas immediately on this very Shabbos, and all be this Shabbos together in Yerushalayim, Irak Kodesh, Shabbat Shalom to all.